You're listening to the Broadway Podcast Network. I'm Victoria Cash. Thanks for calling the Lucky Land Hotline. If you feel like you do the same thing every day, press 1. If you're ready to have some serious fun for the chance to redeem some serious prizes, press 2. We heard you loud and clear. So go to LuckyLandSlots.com right now and play over 100 social casino-style games for free. Get lucky today at LuckyLandSlots.com. Available to players in the U.S., excluding Washington and Michigan. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. I'm Victoria Cash. Thanks for calling the Lucky Land Hotline. If you feel like you do the same thing every day, press 1. If you're ready to have some serious fun for the chance to redeem some serious prizes, press 2. We heard you loud and clear. So go to LuckyLandSlots.com right now and play over 100 social casino-style games for free. Get lucky today at LuckyLandSlots.com. Available to players in the U.S., excluding Washington and Michigan. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. Welcome back to another Burnt Bonus episode where we deep dive into other scandals and true crimes from the stage. Today, we are going to tackle... The closest that Broadway has ever come to a real-life soap opera. And that is, of course, the making and the remaking of Sunset Boulevard. With me today to talk about the gossip, the epic catfights that surrounded the shows, the lawsuits, all of the fabulous goings-on for the world of Sunset Boulevard, is the man who dedicated an entire podcast series to Sunset Boulevard. It's called The Sunset Project. It's the one and only Broadway Bob. Hello, Hi Bob. Hi there. Thanks for Hi, having Bob. me. Well, thank you for joining me. As I was explaining to you earlier, your your voice has been in my ears because I, I devoured The Sunset Project over, uh, I think, the course of two days. It's a fascinating look at Sunset Boulevard. Well, thank you. Yeah, it's uh, it's one of those things that I had been planning. I think since I was sixteen years old, like this story, you know, and and I and it's a story that that a lot of us theater people know. If you love theater, you know the story, but a lot of people don't. And I had been thinking about it for a long time, and I thought, you know, I have some time on my hands during winter break <coughs> earlier this year, and I'm like, why don't I just? I I had been making a podcast with my friend, and I kind of knew how podcasts work. And I just sat down and did it in the course of two weeks and made it all happen. And I didn't expect anything to come from it. It was mainly just for my own entertainment. And uh, then people started listening and I started getting a lot of letters and people saying, this is my story. I love this. This is exactly how I felt because it mixes my love of the show as a, as a teenager with the drama behind the show. So a lot of people connected, which was a really nice surprise for me. It really is such a love letter to the theater. Besides the craziness that is the story of bringing Sunset Boulevard to the stage, it marries so beautifully what all of us theater geeks go through when we find our show. Yes. My sh- you know, my show was Rent. I think I think that was my Sunset Boulevard where you just devour and you go through and you just have to be a part of it. And yours was Sunset Boulevard. And I wrote to you and I said, I don't think I really truly appreciated Sunset Boulevard until I saw it or listened to it through your voice. So for anyone who hasn't taken the journey 
uh, through Sunset Boulevard with the Sunset Project. I highly recommend it. It's a great, great binge listen. Thank you. I had a few friends who don't even like musical theater or knew nothing about Sunset Boulevard, didn't even know that, what the movie was. And they just said, I heard you had this podcast, I listened to it, and I, I got into it. And they went in completely cold. And I think just the drama behind the creation of making a thing as big as a mega musical is its own story in and of itself. As you oh, know yes. from, from, from the Rebecca musical, right? Oh, yes. And of course, I mean, there is so it's so interesting when you bring theater people together because they are such a specific breed, right? You have to have a little bit of that craziness yeah. to want to launch a music, a huge mega musical. And then, and of course, there's all the trappings that come with that. And a lot of it is really fun, gossipy fodder, gotta say, for people looking, looking, looking from the outside. So, and there are, you know what, I, I, before we get into our little touchdown on it, give us a quick primer for the uninitiated. Now, I can't imagine anybody would have found this specific podcast without knowing what Sunset Boulevard is. But should there be one stray person who happened to have found this <laughs> podcast and doesn't know what Sunset Boulevard is. Give us the quick primer on the story of Sunset Boulevard. Yes. Well, um, the musical was based on a Billy Wilder film. I believe it's 1950. I should know that date, um, but mm-hmm. I don't know off the top of my head. It is the 50. Yep, the 50. 50. And uh, it's a classic movie about the deconstruction of Hollywood and about how Hollywood had cast aside this fictional but based on a real caricature of a silent screen actress, Norma Desmond. And she used to be a, um, a silent film queen and then talkies came in and she became irrelevant. And But she still believed that she was going to have her return. Not a comeback, it's a return. No. And, uh, I hate that word. I hate that word. <laughs> and um, and through the course of this, Joe Gillis, who was kind of our narrator of this show, and Billy Wilder, he created the genre of of um, film noir. It's a told in flashback. We know that Joe Gillis is dead at the beginning of the film, but we figure out how. And we learn that he's this down-on-his-luck writer who, through a course of a series of events of trying to elade, uh, 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 evade um, people trying to get him to pay for his car because he has no money, he finds himself stranded at Norman Desmond's mansion. He recognizes her. And then they they start a relationship primarily because he knows that he can get something from her because she's rich and has connections. And she wants something from him because he's a screenwriter and she's penning her return, which is Salome. They fall in love and... Uh, Questionable if he falls in love with her, but I think there is some love there. Ish. There's some love-ish there. There's a B plot with a young woman named Betty Schaefer. Things don't go well. Joe Gillis dies. Norma Desmond has a breakdown. And it's really talking about how Hollywood has turned its back on its own kind. And at the time, in the 50s, in 1950, this was a very... This was a touchy topic to poke at the machine that was creating the thing that it was actually showing. It was poking at itself, which was a big deal to do back then. Um, and then someplace in the in the early 90s, late 80s, Andrew Rubber made it into a musical. One yes. of the last mega musicals of the era. Before Rent came along, your show, and upturned everything. Yes. Well... Yeah. We're going to touch down, Bob and I are going to touch down on Sunset Boulevard through the eyes of its normas. It's many, many different types of normas. The first, of course, was Gloria Swanson, mm-hmm. which we talked about this a little bit yesterday offline. Norm Gloria Swanson was 50 years old when she was cast 
as the has-been, the dried-up, the old bitty, the 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 recluse. 50! She was 50 years old and she was playing Norma Desmond. And that is what Hollywood thinks of its older ladies. At 50 years old, you're just dried up and send send you to the glue factory. Yeah. But yep. she was 50 years old. She did that, the Billy Wilder, which is now a classic. And Sunset was her return to this. She was a, so she was sort of in the vein of Norma Desmond. She was a silent film star. Mm-hmm. She was this big, glamorous fashion plate. And Sunset was, I think, after like a 16-year absence from the stage i'm sorry from the from the films and she uh she i think this kind of was like her ending too it was both it was very on par with her norma desmond it was very much so i think the thing to give her a little bit of credit is that she was very much aware of who she was in her career at that time when she was offered the role of norma desmond she had moved on to New York and was doing theater and TV work. And TV wasn't like it is today. It was, you know, second-tier work for actors. And uh, she, uh, when she was asked to be in the show, she really did it because she wanted the paycheck. She knew that Hollywood paycheck was exactly what she was missing. And um, she was asked to do a screen test for the show, for the movie. And which she said, watch any of my 50 movies I made at Paramount, which was a very Norma Desmond thing to say, but kudos to her to have Norma Desmond, to have <laughs> to have Gloria Swanson do a screen test. But there were many other actresses that they went to first that turned it down because they thought the role of Norma Desmond was so abhorrent for an actress to play. Um, but Gloria Swanson said, sure, I'll do it. And she did it. And um, and then what came, and that, so I think that she kind of went into it with like some sense of a, uh, some sense of perspective but when she came out of it as we know she had her own attempt at trying to create her own musical version of sunset so gloria swanson very presciently took the first stab at sunset boulevard we decades before andrew lloyd Webber would ever come into it she decided that she wanted to do a musical version of sunset boulevard she brought together this t- these two, uh, a young lyricist and composer named Dixon Hughes and Richard Stapley, and they worked on it for like four years with yeah. the blessing initially of Paramount Studios. Yes. And she worked on it. They, they came up with all of the songs and uh, eventually Paramount just killed it. They were like, just kidding. We don't want you to do it. And all yeah. that worked down the drain. Yeah, yeah. And you mentioned to me yesterday that there's a documentary, which I tried to find, and I can't find anywhere, that you know has what? dived it into just, this. It's called Boulevard, A Hollywood Story. Yes. And it's just started to make its... Uh, it's a documentary about the making, Gloria Swanson's making of this musical and how she falls. She develops feel. It's this, uh, Stapley and Hughes were mm-hmm. a gay couple, of course, in the 50s when that was completely hush-hush and taboo. But yeah. she falls... She she falls for Stapley. She develops feelings for Stapley, and she kind of becomes a little Norma Desmondish in, in and of herself. Yeah. Um, while making this musical, which then, after four years, Paramount put a stop to. Yeah, yeah. Dixon Hughes but- and Richard Stapley, and she she worked with them. And the funny thing about that adaptation is that she tried to give so much humanity to um, Norma Desmond. She made Norma Desmond actually poor, so that. She was she had no money and she was selling her stuff off to support Joe Gillis to, to kind of give her some people could um, have some empathy for her. And I believe and I, I have never seen this musical, but what I've read about it is that the ending of it, she lets Joe go with with Betty Schaefer. He's, he lives. 
So there is, so I think that's part of the reason why Paramount was like, you've really just kind of changed the point of what this all is. And uh, they, they pulled the rights from her to produce it further. I think that's what happened. But then there's also the whole thing where she, fell in love with her collaborator, much like Norma Desmond did with Joe Gillis. And that yeah. took it Well, down fascinating too. to actually have a woman cre- write for that role, the story yeah. of Norma Desmond told through an actual woman. That's a um, very good point. That's a very yeah. good point. And I think that's the thing that I try to talk about in my podcast is one of the things about this. It is a story about women in Hollywood, but all of the iterations of the show from the movie to the musical version were all told by men. And so there's a little bit of a, there's a little bit of like the missing piece here. One thing that um, the Amy Powers was the original lyricist for Sunset Boulevard, the musical. Canned. Jumping there, and she was canned very early for no reason. And it would have been interesting to have a, 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 a female identifying voice give some, some input into this creation of the show. Agreed. But the Gloria Swanson, maybe this this new documentary, which is making the rounds in the festival circuit. I don't know what the plans are after that in terms of just wider distribution, but I'm going to try and hunt it down. It sounds fascinating, but that was Gloria Swanson, Sunset Boulevard. And she died before Andrew Lloyd Webber's musical ever made it. Yeah. She died in her 80s. Yeah. In the 80s, I think, too. Um, she bef- did before Andrew Lloyd Webber's. So she never got to see it on stage, but that was Gloria Swanson. Yeah. Um, maybe somebody funny, will... Sorry. I have a funny little story about Gloria Swanson because, um, and I mentioned it in my podcast, but it was one of those things that um, uh, before the pandemic, I went to um, Columbia University because Patti Lapone, original Norma Desmond, had donated all of her scripts to and all of her books and mementos and letters from fans to Columbia University Rare Books and Manuscripts Library. And I went there and looked at the entire Sunset Boulevard collection, which is like four volumes of stuff. And um, there was all sorts of stuff. Articles, she saved everything. One of the most interesting things I found beyond like the gaslighty letters from Andalude Weber and everything um, was a letter from Gloria Swanson to Patty. <gasps> and, and I was like, how did this that doesn't make sense timeline-wise because she died in the 80s and Sons yeah. of Boulevard was in the 90s. But what had happened was I think that Gloria had seen Patty and Evita. And um, and the letter that Gloria wrote was very chaotic. I, it was clearly there was some dementia or something going on there. She was accusing Patty of like of giving her, like doing something wrong to her and having Patty's dresser, I think come out and 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 uh and greet Gloria what she thought was in her front. It's a very weird letter, but it's an interesting letter because it's written much like a Norma Desmond would write it to Patty and she calls her Patty Lupino. Ah! <laughs> How dare you Gloria Swanson. <laughs> and after this like railing of Patty for some weird thing that I don't quite understand, at the end it says give all my best to your mother. So it's a How odd. A little oh. odd connection between the original Gloria Swanson and the movie and the original um, the, the original Norma Desmond in the movie, the original Norma Desmond in the yeah. stage show. Yeah. Fascinating. Well, mm-hmm. then we get to, of course, the Andrew Lloyd Webber. The reason for the season, Andrew yes. Lloyd Webber. Now, he's not the... Let's touch down on, on Lloyd Webber for a moment. He's he's not a, a, a Norma, of course, but he is he is a, a diva of this, of epic proportions. Um, yeah. You... you, you enlighten the audience with a little bit of insider Broadway baseball with the introduction of the really useful group mm-hmm. as its own character. Now, the really yeah. useful group, most people have heard of this name. It's Andrew Lloyd Webber's 
humongous corporation that churns out Broadway shows or turns out shows Mm -hmm. and it's a multi multi multi-million dollar operation with thousands of employees it is the essence besides like disney theatrical really useful is probably the closest to a broadway corporation that we have yeah and they become sort of this nemesis of the story of Sunset Boulevard and the way that it treated its leading ladies. Yeah. Touch a little bit on on Andrew and how really useful sort of became a character in all of this and and would leak stories to the press and Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. touch down a Mm -hmm. little bit on Rug, if you will. Yeah, where do I begin? So, as you mentioned, Rug is this powerful entity. And at the time, if we, like those of us who are old enough to remember, like, Angela Weber was running Broadway for a long time. It was Cats, it was Phantom, it was Starlet Express, it was all of these hits, one after another. And Rug was this machine. And it's very rare, I think, um, today, most especially, to have the production team also the team that creates the material so it was you ha- if you were an independent artist negotiating with rug you you found yourself at the whim of rug rug was not only a production entity they were also were a press company they were they were the mm-hmm. they were the group creating and creating the buzz around a show and um they were hitting all sorts of highs until they started kind of showing some fractures around um aspects of love which didn't do very well on broadway and Starlet Express, which didn't do well on Broadway. So there was some kind of, I think, panic happening within Rug at that point that they were seeing their, they were seeing things kind of, they needed to do something. And Sunset Boulevard was the show that they really rallied around, I believe, based on everything I've read, to really make their show. It was going to be the female phantom of the opera. It was the thing that was going to get them back on track. It was the thing that was going to have the star. Um, So they put all of their muscle behind it to make it this event, which, as we know in PR, you manufacture an event, but they manufactured to such a degree that they started pitting their own stars and their own creatives against each other to create news to be able to sell the show. And what that ended up doing is creating a lot of a lot of strife trauma for mainly the leading ladies of the show. But Rug was the entity. It was the company that was doing a lot of the behind the scenes meddling. And, and also causing the a lot of the drama. Was, and the, the other thing was that was so, I mean, I, I said this a few times in the podcast, but this is the same company that was putting out blind press items, allegedly, of like so-and-so was going to be cast as Norma Desmond in Broadway. And we, we need to get to the rift between Glenn and Patty for those two people listening that don't know it. But they were the ones creating the rift for when the actresses were negotiating for the contract. But they're the of ones course. who also owned the contract. So right. it just seems so... You know, it was right out of the rug playbook. They loved a great story leak with like the page six, Liz Smith, Michael Riedel's like that was their that was their go to script, if Mm -hmm. you will, for launching a show was to create as much buzz uh, around a drama, if you will. But I will say before we move on to Patty, Andrew and really useful group sort of loom large in the Sunset Project as this force for not always good. Not the villain, but sort of meddling and pitting its leading ladies against each other and planting stories and 
gaslighting a lot of its leading ladies. For me, um, this past year, though, has been so redemptive for Andrew Lloyd Webber because he's really been one of the only towering figures of the theater to not run and hide to his, you know, um, probably millions of mansions throughout the world and just hold tight and wait for COVID to pass over him. He really has stuck his neck out and really, you know, clamored for the return of theater and been a great champion, even getting the COVID vaccine, like shot into his arm, very famously in front of a camera, of course, as only Andrew Lloyd Webber would do. Um, But... So how did you reconcile all of that, you know, having done this big podcast and, and but watching Andrew kind of have this big redemptive story and as, as a big hero of the of the shutdown? Um, it's a really good question. And I think uh, like if we zoom out even further, just how we've been looking at our hero, our theatrical heroes over the past year and a half, how they've reacted. It's been very sobering in a lot of ways and eye opening. And I do think that Andrew has done a lot of great things during this time. I do think a lot of it is motivational for his own company and for his own his own products. I think that I, I my sense, this is my take, is that he was panicking with his with his show Phantom potentially closing. Um, there was a lot of hubbub, if you recall, between him and and uh, and Cameron McIntosh around what was happening with that production. So there was a lot of like videos of Andrew playing the piano sadly in the empty Her Majesties, like stuff like that. Like we will be back. Um, but I to answer your question, I think that people have all facets to them. I don't think he's evil. I don't think he's, I, I think he just has a lot of pieces to him, like all of us do. And mm-hmm. um, I think part of it, like he did good stuff. I think, like I said, I think some of it was just to kind of enable an image of of how he wants to present himself. But I mean, I mean, credit to where credit's due in terms of the good stuff that he's done. Hello, it is Ryan. And we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BGW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire. Huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. ChumbaCasino.com has over 100 casino style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. But going back to the 90s and why we're really here, yes. Andrew Lloyd Webber was, was a little different in the 90s. As you mentioned, he was sort of the kingmaker on Broadway and in the West End, and he was a multi multimillionaire. And he decided that he got this story of Sunset Boulevard stuck in his craw, not like, not unlike mm-hmm. you, Broadway Bob. And yeah. he decided to put together a, a workshop that ended up being almost a production in and of itself at his Sidmonton Festival. Yes. And yes. cast, again, at 44 years old, <laughs> Patti Lapone. In yes. the role of Norma Desmond. Yes. 
Well, we should say that before that, there was the 30-minute production with Rhea Jones that was done the year before at Sedmonton. That um, there's some clips of that, um, but she was also younger. I think she was in her early 30s. So, oh my God, they... Andrew Lloyd Webber, for <laughs> fuck's sake, man! I know, but I think the challenge was um, the challenge was because the question, and I, I don't know if you're going with this, but like, why Patty when it was a star show and he was looking for a a Hollywood piece of someone to lead the show who was Hollywood royalty and. Uh, and I've thought a lot about this in terms of, because I have nothing else to do with my time, of <laughs> why would he choose Pat Lapone of all the various people out there in the world, including like Barbara Streisand, who was interested in recording the songs from the show, all these people. And I think there's a few things in that. The show at the time was written in such a high key that mm. only a few select ladies could sing at eight shows a week. And I don't think that Andrew was ready to sacrifice the fidelity of his score to lower the keys to cast a star. I think that's what it is. And he knew that Patty could deliver. And um, she was ready. She was really ready to come back and do a show. She had been really um, sitting on her butt doing nothing in the TV show Life Goes On, playing an underwritten house mom, um, housewife. Mm -hmm. And she wanted to come back and do a show. But she was not stupid. And she knew that the Sidmonton tryout was a glorified audition for her. So she really put herself full into it. And, and it's thrilling to see the, the the clips on YouTube if you can find them. Yes, and, and we're both publicly admitted Patty Lapone stands. Absolutely. We will not hear of anyone talking crap about Patty Lapone. It not is at all. not to be had on either the Sunset Project or Burnt. Don't come to our parties talking <laughs> shit about Lapone. We won't hear of it. Exactly. So this comes yes. with the next section of this interview comes with Great one-sidedness, as we will always stand for Lapone, no matter what, people. But yes. Patty was really, I mean, I didn't, you know, Patty has this reputation, as all great women do, unfortunately, in this world, that because she is forthright and she is honest and she is exacting in her love for the craft that she's this grand diva. Mm -hmm. And I didn't really think about the amount of gaslighting that Andrew Lloyd Webber did to Miss Patti Lapone at the age of 44. Yeah. When she played this and him pitting her against Glenn and just the way he really treated her like shit. Yeah. And yeah. tell me a little bit about the Patti Lapone. Your take of Patty's Norma and the drama that ensued. Because there was drama. There was a, I mean, it was of epic proportions. Well, I could go on for the next hour, but I won't um, in terms of this, because this is this is the topic. But it's, uh, it's, like you said, it is just really sad when you look at it. Like, at the time, if you read it in the papers, it's like this dramatic story of like a diva being dethroned by Angela Weber and and whatever and she threw a lamp out the window when she found out she was fired but if you dig into the surface of it it's the story of a human being who was just trying to do a job and she was hired for this job and she found herself immediately regretting it but she knew that she had to do it because something in her was compelling her to she says in the book as she looks back on all this I don't know why I did this. All the signs were there that I should not have, I should have walked away, but she kept doing it. And I think it's because she knew this was, these roles 
for women of her age, which is really sad to say at the age of like, what, 43, for women who are established stage actors, and she was primarily a stage actress, to get a starring role in a new musical doesn't come along often. So she she leapt into it. And I think that her desire to do this, um, the really useful group smelled that desire and used it to um, to basically deflate her. And... And on top of this, uh, I, I so I think that she was just someone who was trying to do a job. And she found herself in a really, really shitty situation pretty quickly and wasn't sure how to get out of it because of contracts. So the she basic, had basically... I was going to say, the basic yeah. story is she was, after Sidmonton Festival, and was like, there's my Norma. Yes. They cast it for London first. And then yes. simultaneously kind of throw this Los Angeles production out of nowhere. Take it from there. It yeah, tells yeah, a little absolutely. bit of the background. Yeah, absolutely. So she was cast in the in the Sidmonton workshop and then went swimmingly. And Andrew Lloyd Webber basically offered her the role on the spot in the, the following night or that, that evening's performance. Um, and then when she, so then she, she, after, right after that performance, that was the last time she had a positive experience with Sunset Boulevard. After that, it became contract negotiations. And those are very boring to talk about. But what it meant is that she found herself negotiating for every little piece of of this of this role, including salary, including some of her standard requirements as a woman of her of her status. And then, as part of the negotiation, she discovered that there was this mysterious LA production opening at this like a, like six months after London, I believe. And she was like, "Wait, what's this about?" Because she knew she's not a dumb lady that this would automatically mean that there would be a competing actress playing the role in the states. And she tried to find a way to get out of the London production because she would want to be a part of the LA production if that was the case. Because she knew there would be a competition right away. She smelled it right away. And of they course. said, no, no, no. Of course. You're, like, you are our Norma. They kept saying this. You're our Norma. And um, immediately after she signed her contract, which, which contractually obligated her to play Norma Desmond on Broadway following London... Um, when she was literally waiting to take the flight to go to London for rehearsals, she a news item came out that Glenn Close was cast for the, uh, this L.A. production. And she By Liz right Smith. It's so By of Liz its time. R.I.P. Liz Smith. But shit, but it was so of its time. It's like I read it and Liz, my agent read it to me from Liz Smith. And she t- goes yes. to quote unquote batting practice in her dressing room in London and just takes the whole fucking thing down. Well, that was yeah. That was after she got fired. Right. But she when she yeah when she uh, when she found out that Glenn Close was cast, she basically handed her plane tickets back to um, the driver and said, "Take these back to Rug and tell them I am not stepping on that plane to begin rehearsals until we get this figured out." And from there, it became a whole debacle of her, of them having. Um, then Rug started churning out press materials around whether or not Glenn Close was taking the role to Broadway. Allegedly, they were churning out press materials, and she was just trying to figure out how to play the role on top of all of this noise in the background about whether or not she would be fired from a performance she hadn't even started yet. Um, and at that point, she joked that, and joke, but that Glenn Close was getting better reviews for a role she hadn't even played yet. And, um, and then um, after, I think about nine months into the run, when, when things started getting more heated up and the production in LA started getting rehearsed and got stood up, Opening night of the L.A. production, Glenn Close gets rave reviews, mm-hmm. um, and 
she finds out uh, shortly after that that through Liz Smith's column mm-hmm. that she was fired, and that's when she goes to batting practice. And there was so much that happened between that point and the batting practice in the dressing room that. Well, you'll have to listen to Sunset Project and, and Bob. Yes, yeah. Bob does a, a glorious job of of the nitty gritty of the drama that was Patty Lapone and Sunset Boulevard. And you know what? Yeah. And I. Patty Lapone is nothing if not brutally honest in her memoir, in every interview she does. She does not mess around. She doesn't mince no. words, and she's not of the Hollywood, Broadway sort of like, oh, everything's wonderful and fabulous and roses. She brings it throughout yeah. so the if course. she's asked a question, she will tell you what she thinks. <laughs> yeah, I think sometimes to her detriment, where she just doesn't care. She doesn't what, care, what she and thinks. she's honest. So she very famously has gone on to say not so great things about what you experienced with Andrew Lloyd Webber and with Sunset Boulevard. She yeah. said at the time, I have nothing nice to say about the man, so I choose to say nothing at all yeah. um, after yeah. this whole thing went down. And then she went on to have lots to say. Um, yeah. My one. She also had a lot of, she also lost her voice for almost a year. She, she broke a blood vessel burst because of the stress of it that she, she, she relates it to that. Mm-hmm. She, she says that her marriage almost broke up. Like, really serious stuff happened to her after this. Just dealing with the trauma of being of being through a, a, a crisis, a professional crisis that became very personal very quickly. Yes. And so she goes on. She's done many interviews about this, including writing about it extensively in her memoir. Have you listened to the audiobook? It's a uh, yeah, of course. There's no other yes. way to, to read, quote, unquote, read that book than to have Patti LuPone in your ear. It's fantastic. Um, it yeah. is fantastic. Uh, sh- but she's she vacillates between, you know, sort of like, okay, it's all water under the bridge and Andrew really ruined my life for a long time, but at least I got a pool out of it. Um, but the, famously, <laughs> there's two sort of makeups that happen in all of this. One is with Glenn Close, which we'll talk about, uh, which she, you know, says sort of flippantly says like, oh, we made up at the Kennedy Center uh, honors of Barbara Cook in 2011. And she happened to have sat next to me and we all kind of were like, it's water under the bridge. But with LaPaul, I mean, sorry, with uh, Lloyd Webber, she years like a couple of years ago, the Grammy Awards was doing a. Uh, an honoring of Andrew Lloyd Webber. And she comes back to sing Evita, Don't Cry For Me, Argentina, in the original key, of course. Yes, Patti LuPone does not fuck around. In the original key. And as she tells the story, in rehearsal, the first day of rehearsal for that monumentous performance, it was just so good. She says, hello, Andrew. And then she says, uh, this is a detente. This is a detente. <laughs> and everybody just cracks up. I mean, yeah, she is. Well, it's nothing. funny because I, I saw her do a, um, with Seth Brodetsky at, um, Steppenwolf uh, around 2017. She did one of her concerts and it was right after that Grammy performance. Mm. And he asked her about it. Like what, what's the story behind that? And she said, basically when she was asked to sing this, in the show, she thought two things. One, does Andrew know? And two, uh, do I really want to sing this song in the Grammys? Because it's going to be like a low point. Like she knew like this, like singing Don't Cry For Me Argentina's in the Grammys was going to be like, it's going to be a hard sell for this type of audience. Mm -hmm. So she's like, it's tough for me. 
And um, she she turned it down because she really thought I don't want to do it because I don't want to I don't want to revisit that again. And they said, well, if you don't, we're gonna get Lady Gaga. Basically, is what they said. And she's like, all right, I'm gonna do it. <laughs> so let's move on to Miss Glenn Close. Yes. Uh, who has also, much like Gloria Swanson, has sort of claimed this Norma Desmond throne in many iterations. Uh, tell me a bit about Glenn's coming to, the fun parts of Glenn coming to the role. Yeah. Well, I will say that I love Glenn Close as Norma Desmond. She was my first Norma Desmond. She's the one I discovered on cast recording as a 16-year-old. So she, her line readings on that cast recording are emblazoned on my soul. So I discovered her recording before I discovered Patty's. So like the shift between those two was so different because what we haven't talked about is Patty's performance was so different. It was very naturalistic where Glenn's is very much um, characterized, Mm -hmm. Um, still grounded in reality, but very much its own creation. And um, so I'm a fan of Glenn Close's uh, Norma Desmond in different ways. and she, yes, she was the one who opened it in L.A., um, got it on Broadway, won the Tony, because there were only <laughs> one other category nominated that year mm-hmm. um, against the, the the late, great Rebecca Luker. And uh, and she, uh, she had a career high from it. It was one of those things where she really, really made that show a success. I mean, she's the one who made that. And she knew that. And there was a whole thing that happened, part of the debacle, uh, because you think with Gun Close, nothing really badly happened with her because she's been working with Andrew and revived it on Broadway a couple of seasons ago. But there was a point where she went on vacation and they cooked the books and made it look like that she was that 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 her her missing from the show wasn't impacting box office numbers, but it was. And she quintessential, got really, really useful group meddling yes. with the press. Basically, they planted stories that, oh, just because Glenn Close went on vacation and Karen Mason, who took over for her while she was away, everything, nothing to see here, folks. Sunset Boulevard is still a triumph. And yes. Glenn Close played them like a fiddle. She did. <laughs> and she, she played them a, at their own game. It was fabulous. Yeah, she had a wonderful note that she wrote to really useful group that got leaked to the press. Leaked, that, of course. Um, allegedly leaked. Allegedly. <laughs> allegedly leaked, where she she sticks up for herself. And I'm like, kudos to you, Glenn Close. Mm-hmm. Um, and the thing I will say, like, we are pro-Patty. The one thing that I take issue with Patty about is that she, I still think, and you alluded to this, I still think that she hasn't forgiven Glenn Close for doing whatever that she did. In my mind, Glenn Close is a working actor, much like Patty is. She took a role. She played it completely differently. She got the role. And... Um, Patty's main issue, from what I can understand, is that she was upset that Glenn Close didn't call her to wish her well. And and if I were Glenn Close, I wouldn't call Patty either. Apparently, she said that Glenn Close couldn't be anywhere near, like, opening night of Patty's performance mm. or couldn't be in rehearsals. Like, she cut Glenn off. And I would think, well, I'm just not going to add fuel to that fire. I'll let that be. I'm here to do a job, and my job is to perform this role, which she did. Um and I think Glenn, I think Patty's still fired up about that, and I don't. She does. She doesn't. She doesn't mince words about it. There was she. She yeah. went on uh, Watch What Happens Live a couple yeah. of months ago, uh, or about a year ago, I guess at this point, because everything just time has morphed into nothing right now. But yeah. she went on. I think it was last year, at the beginning of the shutdown, and Angie Cohen asked her about having 
drink quota like apparent another press story leak was that she was having drinks at Bar Central with yes. Glenn Close, and then she she quickly did. But we didn't have drinks. She crashed my table. It was her. Yes. I, I mean, what I wouldn't have. I would give my right arm to have been at this table with John yeah. Hamm, Andrew Rannells, Patty Lapone, and Glenn Close comes up. And crashes the table, and Patty Lapone, per Patty Lapone, goes to John Hamm. If you go home with her and fuck her, I'll never fuck speak her. to you again. Yeah. It's it's such a moment. It's it's a it's a cultural touchstone in all of our lives. It I think, is that moment. <laughs> oh my god, Bob! I think we're gonna have to get like matching tattoos that say if you if you go home and fuck her, I'll never talk to you again. <laughs> it's so great. Oh. It's so great, and I mean. I mean, it's just, that's just, I think, emblematic of, of all of this. It's, it's just, it's just, it's just insanity. I mean, there's very real people behind the story, but that, that story was just crazy when she told that. But yeah, I mean, and kudos, and again, kudos to Glenn. She's like, I'm going to get up here and say hi. I I don't think Glenn sees she has an issue with Patty. It's all on Patty's side, I think. One day they're going to do like, uh, one day some, some enterprising producer is going to offer like millions and millions of dollars to Patty Lapone, Glenn Close, Bernadette Peters, Betty Buckley. Just grab them all and shove them on a stage yeah. and let them have at it. Somebody's got to yeah, do just, it. Let's see what happens. Yeah, it's 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 wild. And I and then and then as you alluded to, now Glenn Close, she did that revival a couple seasons ago. So she had a great run on Broadway. She the did Lonnie the revival, Price revival, which, which was kind Lana of pared down without the crazy like. Which is another yeah. character in your, which is kind of a character in my podcast too, all about the set of it all being just a complete yeah, the set design. I mean, we haven't touched on that was just immaculate. And I don't think we'll ever see a show like this on Broadway again um, with that set design. Um, but yeah, it was it was wild. And that that concert version, I call it a concert version because that's really what it was to me. It was lovely to see, but I always forget that I saw it. It's one of those things where like, mm. did you see that revival of Sunset Boulevard of Glenn? I'm like, yeah, I guess I did. Yeah, they tried um, it. They did try it. But she was, yeah. then it was 22 years after. She was actually a proper age to play yeah. Norma Desmond when she did it in yeah. 2017. Yeah, and I think she did it, she, she, from what I understand, she toned it back. I didn't see her in the original run, but I feel she made it, she took out kind of the, I guess, the the bigger parts of her performance and mm. toned it back. And it was a very real performance from what I saw on stage. I was surprised how subtle it was in a lot of ways. Well, her and Andrew Lloyd Webber have been trying to make this film for yes. years, trying to now make the musical film version of it with, of course, Glenn as normal. Yeah, which is, well, and let's think seems... about this. It's, it's, it's a... Movie based on the movie industry. Then they made a musical based on the movie about the movie industry. <laughs> exactly. Now they're going to make a musical based on the musical about the movie industry based on a movie based about the music. This is like this, like this, it, this. It's insane if this gets made. It's very it's through have the so looking glass. Well, if it yeah. ever happens, Bob, you've got a date. <laughs> well, you saw the yes, I would love to go. But you've seen the the, the announcement that came out a couple. I think last week there was an interview with Angela Weber, and he said that it's off. Paramount has put put the pause on yeah well if anybody's listening and they want to they want to bring it back try and throw a couple millions of dollars at it i would love to see it i mean i would just out of some curiosity i would love to see what they could do but i just don't know how they could do it mm. i just don't know how it could translate mm. well much like the follies musical i don't know how that could work on film it's such a stage piece but yeah well that might never be never uh, uh be but 
if you listen to Sunset Project, and we don't have time here, but if you listen to Sunset Project, Bob touches down on all the great Normas. Betty Buckley, Elaine Page, and there's drama in each of them. Like Betty Buckley mm-hmm. had appendicitis or something, and then she was out, and Elaine Page was in, and Elaine was supposed like supposed to go to Broadway with it, and then she did. Like, there's just Rita Moreno took over for Petula Clark. Like, there's just so many different Normas, yeah. and all all of their different styles. Who yeah. I, you mentioned in the podcast, but tell me about your favorite because I discovered a new star from your favorite Norma. Well, thank you. My my favorite, which is surprising to some, I, I certainly love all of them, and I love Betty Buckley, but um, I I love the original German Norma Desmond, Helen Schneider, who not many people know, but if you do, do discover her, it's a real treat. She is a got her start as in Brooklyn as a punk rock singer, and then she uh, she had a hit called um, called I'm blanking on the hit called something very rock and roll. It's something very rock and roll. She has crazy rock and roll hair. Anyways, it's wild. Then she got um, then she got enlisted by German record producer to be, be kind of like the German pop star in Germany. And so she flew to Germany and became like a pop star over there uh, in a band called The Kicks. And then she somehow, and it's very unclear, but she segued into musical theater like in that point in her life where she played a lot of Patti LuPone roles. She played Reno Sweeney in the Berlin production of Anything Goes on the Lincoln Center sets. It was very bizarre. Um, and then she, and then she became a grand dame of the stage as a rock and roll punk singer, um, to where she found herself as Norma Desmond. And so I love her performance in that. She's also was very young, a very young Norma Desmond, but she, she portrays a sense of like, of regalness. And she has this rock and infused tone to her voice. It's kind of like Liza Minnelli meets Pat Benatar. Very Pat Benatar playing Norma Desmond. It's very, it's very cool. I I didn't know about her before listening to your podcast, and she's she's she really blew my socks off. She's fantastic. But I also love Diane Carroll. She was my first Norma Desmond when I was sixteen in Toronto. Yeah. So she's she's also one of my favorites. So let's quickly talk about the almost Normas. Because as Mm -hmm. you mentioned, there were so many people who almost did it. Now, from my understanding, Meryl Streep, who watched Patty in that Sidmonton Festival reading, was also considered. Is that true? It's it's unknown. I think she was there and she congratulated Patty after the Sidmonton performance. And they were contemporaries. They both went to Juilliard. Oh, no, she went to Yale. But they were contemporaries. They were in the theater scene together. And... um. After Pat, the way Patty explains it in her memoir is that when Patty landed, all the rumors started coming out that Meryl Streep said, Get me Norma, get me Sunset was the headline. And Patty, to her credit, says she does not believe that Meryl ever wanted Norma Desmond. It was purely just rug nonsense spinning this up. Mm. And um, there's actually a video of Angela Weber quite recently talking it's at a Simonton estate. Um, and he's talking about the, the impetus for the song With One Look, how it was originally written for a version of The Little Mermaid that he was working on at some point. What? Anyways, <laughs> yeah, it, with one, yeah, I don't know. He recycles songs all the time, but that was one of them. And he, um, as he was getting ready to go to his piano to play, he says offhandedly, like, one time when we performed this, Meryl Streep is sitting in the audience. I wonder what she could have made of that role. Anyways, we'll never know. And he sits down and oh, plays. Oh, boy. So Still I don't know if she actually was, but she would be great. But in Michael Riedel's book, he talks about how um, when Glenn Close was playing in L.A. Um, and the previews, Glenn Close like snuck in during tech to watch Glenn. 
uh, Meryl Streep snuck in to watch Glenn Close play it. Mm. She was just really intrigued about what was happening. So we never, so who knows? We never got a Meryl Norma. We also never got another lawsuit debacle. Was Faye Dunaway? Oh God, yeah. So- Wasn't that a wild one? So for those who don't know, she was set to replace Glenn Close in L.A. Um, and she was auditioned multiple times because she was not a singer. She approached the producers and said, I think I'd be good for this role. And she probably could have been really fascinating. She understood the character. She came from the star system. She understood that side of Hollywood. Um, and they told her that she probably could sing it well enough. They paired her up with a, with a vocal coach. And they had, they had nerves that they weren't ready to perform it. And uh, they went to Andrew Weber and again re-auditioned her. And he said, you're great. You know, like, lovely. It's more about the acting than the vocal performance. And then I think three, maybe a week? I don't know. It was very soon before the first preview of Faye Dunaway. They decided to not only take her off the show, but to close the entire L.A. production and then ship the sets. Of to, the Garth to Garth Drabinsky. I mean. <laughs> yeah. So so then Faye Dunaway, got, t- to her credit, as crazy as she as she comes across, she got in front of the rug machine and did her own press conference the very next day, basically protecting herself and her credibility as an actress before Andrew Weber could um, and his team could get in front of and her. And he said so, she's like threatened to sue, right? And then they just were like, here's some money, go away. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And as the lore goes, she called Patty and said, what do I do? And she said, sue him. Yeah. So... <laughs> And finally, you mentioned the great Barbara Streisand. There was talks of a movie version with Streisand and Tom Cruise. I never knew this. Yes. I did not know this. Yes. In like 94, Rug Again had leaked some gossip about Barbara Streisand and Tom Cruise being in talks to do a movie version of it. And of course, Could you imagine? Andrew was then very coy about it and said, oh, we're not, uh, we're not, I don't know. We don't know. We'll see what happens. Blah, blah, blah. <laughs> but it never ended up happening. But there was an actual press report about that. And we'll never know. We'll never know. I mean, I mean, we could imagine what that could look like. Oh. And I think it would be fascinating. Fascinating. It would be absolutely fascinating. I mean, there we go with Barbara Streisand again with her product, her movie adaptation of Gypsy. So I'd rather just, see her as nor. I mean, I, I mean, I would love to see her as Mama Rose, but like, let's be honest. I would love to see her in anything, right? Yeah. But yeah, I, I, it would be fascinating. It would be. It's too bad that she has never taken it upon herself to play a musical theater role, really, since her heyday on the stage. Mm-hmm. I mean, yeah, on stage. I mean, I would love to see that, and in the movies. So. Speaking of who you'd like to see, let's let's end on the note of the Normas now. If they were going to mm-hmm. remake Sunset Boulevard, stage, screen, what have you, who would you want to cast as the Norma Desmond of today? Oh, goodness. Um, I mean, we have to look at our divas we have today. I think Audra McDonald would be a great Norma Desmond, oh. though I think it's probably beneath her, <laughs> maybe in some way. Um, I would love to see. Uh, I, I would love to see Tony Collette be back on stage again at some wow, point. Wow, that's interesting. I think she could be interesting. Um, and Julia Murney, I think, would be a fascinating Norma Desmond. That would be interesting. I was thinking. What, what about you? I, I also thought of Audra. Um, I also think of Donna Murphy and Christine Ebersol. Like the two of them yeah. would just, oh, they would crush that. Um, yeah, I, I agree. Donna Murphy would can crush anything. Yeah, of as far course, as I'm yes. Concerned. 
Yeah. And also, I thought Heather Headley. Heather Headley would be fantastic. She yes. would just out of the park. I would love to see, you know, nobody's, Lonnie did that sort of concert version, show version of it in 2017 with Glenn. But nobody's sort of like pulled, as far as I can recall, nobody's kind of like pulled Sunset Boulevard down into its essence and done that kind of like black box or like broken down version of sunset. Um, and I would love to see that. Like, you know, can the public do an immersive sunset boulevard? Could you imagine with Heather Headley yeah. coming out of the the shadows and killing Joe and all this? I mean, <laughs> fascinating there was, a, there was a wild production in London that I didn't see, but it was an actual musician production that was done. Fascinating. Well, if any... Yeah, so I, 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 I would I would love to see up to your point I would love to see more actresses of color play Norma Desmond and it also actresses think, of a certain age my goodness like stop yeah. casting forty year olds in this role I know I know right I mean I would love to <laughs> like Barbara Streisand could really I mean uh, whether or not she could do eight shows a week at this point or if she would even dare to like, wouldn't even want to because why would she want to but like to see Barbara Streisand she's of the age Christine Ebersole she's of that age I could sort of pass I mean don't stop 30 year olds as Norma Desmond like give me a break <laughs> there is some it's kind of like that old joke that um, Elaine Stritch made about the song I'm Still Here and she's like all these actresses singing it where have they been they've been nowhere. exactly exactly <laughs> Well, maybe, Bob, if we pray to the Broadway gods enough, maybe one day we'll get another version of Sunset Boulevard with either Heather Headley or Audra or who knows, some other big stage who stage star. Who knows? Who knows what's I hope, to come? I, I mean, I would love to see another generation experience Sunset Boulevard. I think it will be a while before we see that, but I would love to see it in my lifetime. And I would love to see it with the original sets. <laughs> I wonder where those sets I, are. I mean, I like the staircase needs to, is just as integral to the show as as Norma Desmond in my mind. Amazing. Well, Bob, thank <laughs> you for joining me. Thank you for putting the Sunset Project out into the world and thank and you. showing us plebes the the wonder that is Sunset Boulevard because it is such an amazing overview of your love of musical theater boy's coming-of-age story and also a coming-of-age of a real moment in time for musicals, like the 90s. The was It really was a great, yeah. great uh, podcast. I loved it. And thanks for chatting with me and gossiping about it on Burt. Well, I appreciate you inviting me and just uh, and and entertaining all of my whims because I will leap at the chance. I mean, as I said, this podcast was something that I created because... Um, as a kid, as a, even in my twenties, I had no one to talk to about this because no one really cared. And now I, through this, I'm finding all sorts of people. So many theater nerds out there who about, are like, I'll talk with yeah. you about it. Of course I will. I know. So it's, it's been a super fun time. Thank you so much for inviting Thanks me. Thanks for joining. For sources and more information on the Rebecca scandal, visit bpn.fm slash Bert.
Have you ever wondered how your favorite performer actually feels? Well, here's your chance. Welcome to The Quiet Part Out Loud with me, Bobby Steggert, Broadway actor and now a therapist to a whole host of Broadway creatives. Part interview, part therapy, this is not your typical podcast. We'll go right to the heart of things with some of your favorite artists, what they still struggle with, what lessons they've learned, what they haven't figured out yet. There's enormous power in saying the quiet part out loud. Are you listening? Hey, it's Leslie Odom Jr. here on the Broadway Podcast Network to tell you about the RISE Theatre Directory, a program of maestro music. RISE is a national online resource designed to connect and empower backstage and administrative and creative theatre professionals from underrepresented backgrounds. If you work or aspire to work in the theater community, this can help you find your next project. And if you hire theater professionals, search the Rise Theater directory to find your next team. Create your profile now and get more information by visiting risetheater.org. That's theater with an R-E-R-I-S-E-T-H-E-A-T-R-E dot org because only together we rise. 